Good morning, traders, analysts, and other followers of the energy industry. My name is Corey Stewart, and I'm a senior analyst with Infinitive, your go-to partner for energy analysis and data. As always, I'm here with Jim Mitchell, Definitive's head of America's oil analysts. And we're going to take you through what's happening in energy in the Western Hemisphere. Jim, did I see WCS Houston trade flat to WTI this week? What's going on in Canada? <laughs> yeah, you certainly did. WCS Houston traded over WTI futures Tuesday and Wednesday. Close Friday, about $1.50 under, but definitely a, a sign of strength for the heavy sours in Houston. With earnings season winding down, we're seeing very similar themes to what we saw last week. Uh, as one example, Suncor posted a 231 Canadian dollar loss, with $2.01 of that being impairments and write downs, Fort Hills, White Rose, Terra Nova. The Enbridge CEO, Enbridge also released their earnings, but the Enbridge CEO estimates that Western Canada will curtail about a million to a million five barrels a day. And that's out of about a 4.5 million a day production. Wow. Okay. Okay. So, um, so you know, in a past life, I covered fuel oil. And it uh, seems like there have been some oddities there. Uh, what's up with that? And what else is going on in the States? Yeah, particular, a particular thing with fuel oil, the 0.5% bunker in Houston has been about two dollars over over crude, which is is absolutely amazing, uh, or two dollars over diesel. I mean, which has been absolutely amazing. I didn't think I'd ever see that happen. Uh, the West Coast cracks have, are positive for ANS Alaska North Slope, even in excess of refiners' costs, and as similar to uh, the previous comment, jet and bunker fuel are both positive on the West Coast. So to give you some perspective on how bad things were in California, in mid-April, Carbob, which is the California gasoline blend, was trading in a range of about 30, mid-30s cent a gallon. Now it's trading in the mid-90 cent a gallon range. Headed to the Gulf Coast, cracks are positive for WTI, Eagleford, and WCS with WTI about $2 a barrel more profitable than Eagleford and WCS. Jet cracks are getting closer to ULSD, ultra-low sulfur diesel cracks. Still about $4 a barrel under, but they are, the jet cracks are $2.50 positive. Gasoline, of course, still continues to drive the complex, being about $11 a barrel positive on a gross basis. Uh, a clear sign that the market has found an equilibrium and has started improving. On a different note, the Pioneer CEO, Scott Sheffield, sees prices recovering to the mid-40s by year-end. I can't think of anybody who understands Permian production more than the CEO of Pioneer Natural Resources. Amen. Yeah. I did see one Egyptian billionaire talk about $100 oil within the next 18 months. If the damage to the shale production is uh, longer lasting, um, I find this one a little bit harder to believe because his premise is that the shale oil will not be there. Um, shale companies are being damaged mostly because of the debt financing for production, but the assets are not being damaged. 
And then to the export, uh, U.S. exports continue to be really strong at about three and a half million barrels a day, with the majority of barrels headed to China and India, and the balance headed to Europe and the Caribs. All right. Yeah, that's, that's great information. That's interesting, especially about the hundred dollars a barrel. Um, keep our eyes on it. All right. So um, you know, this past week was Cinco de Mayo. Um, kind of an unofficial uh, anniversary for me. But aside from celebrating uh, defeating the French at Puebla, what's going on in Mexico? Yeah, Mexico's had a pretty big week. The Mexican Central Bank had a meeting this week, and they estimated that the gross domestic product, GDP, for Mexico will contract about 8% for 2020 and about 14% in Q2. Uh, Pemex said that they produced 1.745 million barrels a day in March, with about a third of that, or 600,000 barrels, going to the Mexican refineries, which is actually pretty positive because they were at 465,000 barrels a day. So they're, they're definitely getting their refiners, refineries up and running. The overwhelming majority of the balance came to the U.S., with Spain and India being a very distant second and third. But finishing on a positive note for Mexico, uh, two new fields were discovered off the coast of Veracruz, which isn't particularly interesting news. What is interesting is the coalition that uh, discovered it, Repsol being the coalition leader. But then Germany's Winterschall was part of that, as was Thailand's PTT. Uh, PTT has, has been a heavy oil importer, and they're getting more aggressive now on the eastern side of the Panama Canal. Uh, I haven't seen Germany's winter shawl in, interested in heavy Mexican at all ever. So this is a first for that. So Corey, as you know, we get a lot of questions about our South American uh, market. Uh, what are you seeing happening this week? You know what? Uh, more than what I'll be able to cover today. So I'll, I'll focus down on Aruba, Brazil, and Guyana. And yes, I said Aruba. Um, I'm going to infringe on Jim's area today only because of its relationship with Venezuela. So, you know, as a matter of history, back in 2012, Valera Energy, the then owner, owner of Aruba's solar refinery, uh, its 235,000 barrels per day uh, capacity, shuttered it due to unfavorable refinery economics. And this closure came around the same time that Hess shuttered its uh, Pudavesa joint venture, uh, 350,000 barrels per day refinery at St. Croix. That's the second time in history. Aruba's history that it had been had been shut down. The first was Exxon 85. By 2016, Sitco signed a long-term lease with Aruba for the facility. They began preliminary work to rehab the refinery into heavy crude upgrader. Um, as you know, Venezuela crude needs to be upgraded, and this was done to alleviate issues experienced by the Petrobras, Petrocidano, and Petromonagas upgraders at Venezuela's Jose processing complex, where most of uh, Venezuela's exports come out of um, that area, the Jose area. By last year, however, PDVSA and Aruba began negotiations and to terminate that agreement, and that's kind of what's been going on lately. So the agreement has been finalized. The Aruba government-run RDA has control of the facility. What that means for future refining, heavy crude upgrading, et cetera, is unclear. But what it does mean is that another location um, has come available for crude oil storage. So Aruba has about 9.5 million barrels of crude storage tanks. Uh, about 5 million of those are currently available. 
The other capacity needs some repairs, but it can conceivably be available uh, in the next few months. Um, either way, Aruba's prime minister has stated this capacity up at lease, and that's a projected 2.8 million barrels per, per month lease revenue for them. Uh, what do you guys think? Uh, I mean, I think this is a little bit of revenue for Aruba. Will likely not do much for the oil market, and also who's going to store here? Um, Venezuela is a possible customer. As I stated last time, oil production there is down to about 700,000 barrels per day. Demand and now fire risks threatening to cut production further. Uh, it's just something to watch. I'll, I'll keep you guys updated. Now, looking over here at Brazil, uh, last episode I mentioned that Petrobras has started shutting in some 23,000 barrels per day of production over 60 of its shallow water platforms. And the company expects to cut around 200,000 barrels for this year in response to the global pandemic. Um, now, notwithstanding the economic run cuts, or excuse me, not run cuts, economic cuts, at least six of the platforms in the Campos Basin have workers with confirmed cases of the coronavirus, and the FUP oil workers union has asked for the ANP to suspend operations on these platforms. You know, add further to that, Brazil has begun instituting 20-day lockdowns in several of its cities as a result of uh, COVID-19. And of all of Latin America, Brazil has been the hardest hit country. Um, some previous data, over, over 100,000 confirmed cases and 7,300 deaths as of past Monday. Uh, there was an update to that, um, and I'm sorry I don't have those numbers, but uh, the message here is, is, is it's, it's not great. Uh, that hasn't shown up in the crude production numbers. Uh, in March, Brazil produced just over 3 million barrels per day, which is a 16% year-over-year increase from 2019. This and Brazil's coronavirus demand destruction will mean more crude in the market. Um, look at Thomson Reuters ICON data, we can see that of the roughly 1 million barrels per day of Brazilian exports since January 1st of this year, almost 40% made it to China. And as I mentioned last time, with China likely ramping up its economy sooner than the West, whatever additional Brazilian production we see over the next few weeks will probably end up there. Okay, so my, my last South American area here. So last week I mentioned the countries we talked about and told you that we wouldn't talk about Guiana. And I quote, if only for the moment. Well, the moment's passed. So despite depressed demand and the low price environment, Guiana crude production has continued to increase. Recent production there has averaged between 75 and 80,000 barrels per day. And it's expected to reach 120,000 barrels per day by early June. If you're not familiar with Guiana production, it started this year as a joint effort among Hexon, Hess, and Sinook. And Guiana production is from an FPSO. It also um, has 1.6 million barrels of storage. Sole grade coming from there is Lysa. Now, Lysa is medium sweet, about 31% of the barrel refined from middle distillates. So far this year, about 30% has been exported to the Gulf Coast, 8% has gone to China, and the remaining volume has discharged in Panama. So from Panama, however, some volumes have been re-exported to Long Beach, um, where, funnily enough, National mainstream news in the U.S. has already run a story of all the crude vessels at Anchorage around the port. Wow. So I guess as expected, uh, we're seeing a very uneven return to equilibrium in the oil market. This market dysfunction is definitely creating hurdles for some and opportunities for others. Corey and I are watching some budding trends in this new market environment which we will talk about in next week, next week's episode. All right, guys. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in. As always, 
please feel to reach out to Jim, me, or anyone else on the team. Uh, we are open for feedback and always love to talk. Have a great week.